The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. I hope you will take that invitation seriously. Uh, as we talk uh, this morning from Psalm 89 about the need for gospel endurance. Children can be dismissed for Children's Church. Psalm 89, I'm going to introduce the sermon by uh, reading just verses uh, 49 to 52 of Psalm 89. 49 to 52, just to introduce the sermon. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Uh, on Saturday, as I c- conclude my preparation for the sermon, I send it out by email to uh, a number of people, uh, some who um, aren't able to be uh, with us yet, um, and then others who like to have it in advance and uh, read it. I sent out the first one, and then I sent out a second one, and said, this is the one you ought to pay attention to. And then there was about uh, three, four, and five that I did this morning morning and at about 7:50 I got like hey I think I've got it and then on the way down to St. James I got no you know I don't have it um, this is an ongoing developing sermon because it's an ongoing developing way to think into some very very serious matters of how do we endure for the sake of the gospel when uh, it appears that God himself has forsaken us Do thou, O Christ, our slumber wake? Do thou the chains of darkness break? Purge thou our former sins away and in our soul's new light display. Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Whether you're aware of it or not, the Spirit of the living God has been at work Uh, in our room um, since you've walked into it. He wants to awaken us to Jesus. You know what happens when you wake up somebody early in the morning? You know what generally happens when you wake up someone early in the morning? It's not pretty. It's not pretty. But but many years ago, and I might not have these, these details exactly right, but I think I have them close enough since I was there. Uh, my memory is a bit foggy, but uh, many years ago, when our oldest son Jesse was uh, maybe three or four years old, we were visiting our, my folks in Florida, and we had told him uh, the night before that the next day we were taking him to Disney World. And um, so, very early the next morning, I hear him, and he's standing in the room, and he kind of is just standing there, and I kind of open my eyes, and he's fully dressed. He's all dressed ready to go 
And I, and I go, whoa, wait, you know, and I said, hey, Rhonda, wake up. We better get going. He's ready to go. And, and, and he, he was. It was, a it was just a beautiful thing to see. But fast forward about 14 or 15 years, and he has to catch an early flight out of Albany back to Colorado Springs of the Air Force Academy, which means we have to leave the house by 4 a.m., it's not a beautiful thing to behold at that point in his life when I have to go down and say, hey, it's time to get up, we got to get going. It's too early. He isn't really looking forward to going back. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't pretty. Which would we hope might be a description of the church on Sunday when we are called to meet Jesus here in this place? Enthusiasm, prior preparation, early rising, eagerness, joy, excitement, looking forward to being with God's people, or slumber, dullness, frustration. We are here, but are we awake? Are we clothed in the Spirit to such an extent that we can endure the kind of hardship described in Psalm 89? Is our spiritual renewal so continuous? Is our spiritual renewal so continuous that we can say with the psalmist, blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. This sermon is the second part of Psalm 89. We reflected last week on the God who was surrounded by faithfulness. We saw how praise becomes a point of hope. But now the song turns dark. One reason I love the Bible so much is that it does not avoid asking the hard questions. And Psalm 89 presents some very hard issues. But we must remember that there is nothing new under the sun. The problems we face are not new they have always been there since the fall, since sin entered into the world. So the three big questions that are in the latter half of this psalm are as relevant for us today as they were for the psalmist when he asked them. And I've put them in, I put them in two categories of question. The first one is, why does it look like God has cast us aside? Why are there times when it looks like God has cast us aside? That's verses 35 to, 35 to 45. The second big question category is, why are we mocked? Why do we have to bear up under insults? And we see that from what we just read in verses 46 to 51. And then the third question is kind of a summary question. How can the psalmist say amen and amen when it appears that God has not kept his promises. How can the psalmist say that? So we'll put up the point of this sermon on the screen. I want to keep this before you for a few moments. I want you to know that I'm not going to necessarily be able to answer every question, but I think I am going to answer in a way that answers every question and that this sermon becomes a point of examination for our readiness as disciples 
who are called to endure all things for the sake of the gospel. So I want you to think about the sermon as an examination of your readiness. Uh, the Praetors have been thinking a lot about exams because that boy who was so ready for Disney World and not so ready to go back on an airplane had to get ready this last week for three exams that he had to pass in order for him to complete his master's work and get his assignment uh, next assignment with the Air Force, and he had to learn one of the most difficult languages, and he had to do it in the season of COVID with a private tutor, and it was not an easy thing. But uh, by God's grace, we know he passed two of the three, and we're waiting to hear for the third one. We're pretty confident, and he'll be off on his way with Hungarian uh, next year. Exams are hard. Exams are hard. And what we want to do is, is uh, use this sermon to examine all aspects of our discipleship, our ability to endure in the scriptures, our ability to do, endure in prayer when it seems like prayers are not being answered, our ability to endure in prioritizing, prioritizing, prioritizing the fellowship of the church over all other things, that we endure in that. And all of those things, our discipleship always runs through the grid of testing as i read in the proverb early this morning the crucible is for silver the furnace for gold the lord tests the hearts so the questions reveal a crucible for the psalmist and i suspect for many of us as well so here's question one we'll put it up on the slide for you has god cast us aside Follow along with me as I read, um, starting with verse 35, Psalm 89. God says, once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Pause, Selah, consider. But now... You've cast us off. You've rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruin. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword. You have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Selah, pause, think. Now let me just say that while there are times it may look like God has cast us aside, we can rest in the reality that he has not. He has not. But the language of the psalmist is harsh for a reason. It is blunt. In fact, he says things to God that we might not even think are appropriate. We might say, hey, I don't want to be standing next to you unless I have a lightning rod. But he says them nevertheless. So what are we to do with this? We need to keep in mind that our darkest moment will never be the darkest moment of human history. 
Our worst difficulty will never be the worst difficulty a human ever faced. The cross of Jesus Christ is and will be forever the worst moment of human history. And at that moment in time, it did look like God had forsaken. It did look like all was lost. For Jesus himself says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can understand God forsaking sinners, but Jesus, the righteous one, the much-loved son, why would the father cast the son aside? This again is the preaching of the cross to its fullest dimensions. You see, when it looks so very dark, when fear strikes at your heart, you hear the word of Jesus crying to the Father, why did you forsake me? But then we have to hear the echo from heaven. My much-loved son Jesus was forsaken so that I could bring you, a sinner, to myself. This is God undoing the naughty problem of sin in our lives. This is God descending into the particulars of our lives in Jesus, even though it appears that he had been forsaken. So in times of hardship, in times of hardship, think about the logic of Romans 8. And at the end, when Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? All these terrible things that are unfolding, if God is for us, finish it for me. Who can be against us? And then, what does he say next? He, God, who did not spare his own son. He did not spare his much-loved son, but he did what? He gave him up for us all. How will he not, with him, graciously give us all things? This is a retrieval of apostolic truth that we need to be corrected by in our minds. We need to remain in when it looks like God has cast us aside. When it, it's, God said this, but this is happening. God, you said this. Why is this happening? We go to the cross and we pull that truth into our lives. And apostolic truth then helps us to pass the test when the trials come because apostolic truth points us to the good news of Jesus who endured the cross and through his endurance shows us that God had indeed not cast Jesus aside. Lean into those truths when you need strength to endure. Has God cast us aside? No. Look to the cross. Look to the cross and remember. Second question uh, we'll put up on the screen. This is in verse 46 to 51. Why does God allow his people to be mocked and to bear insults? Let me read again. Please follow along. Verse 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Think about what he's saying there. Verse 49, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Which by your faithfulness you swore to David. 
Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, how I bear in my heart the insults of, the, of, of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. I mean, you read the feelings of frustration in the words of the psalmist. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? You remember Israel, Israel was used to God taking visible action. Like Israel was used to God taking visible action. Seas part, walls fall, enemies scatter. Manna falls from heaven, a fire of cloud, a, fire, a pillar of fire, a cloud leading them. All that it took to get Israel out of Egypt and into the land of promise. Israel is used to visible action, but now it is as if Israel's God has forgotten. God, why aren't you doing something? Why are we being mocked and bearing insult, and why are you, O oh God, allowing it to happen? So what's the answer to this? Well, I, I want, I'm going to call you to think in your mind to just after the betrayal of Jesus. Jesus is on trial. False witnesses are called in to testify against Jesus. The guards mock and abuse Jesus. He's taken away to Pilate. The mockery continues as he is stripped naked, intentionally humiliating him, saying to him, you're less than a man if you allow this to happen to yourself and you try not to stop it. You are less than a man to allow yourself to be stripped naked, nailed to a cross, hung up in public for all to see, and for people to come by and mock and scorn. You, you said you were going to save others. It doesn't appear that you can even save yourself. Hmm. You're going you're gonna to tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days? Well, come on, come down from the cross. Let's see it happen. And even much deeper, Jesus is seen as being outside of the favor of God. The one who himself claimed to be God is now seen to be outside the favor of God. For cursed is everyone who hangs from a tree. Why did Jesus have to bear insults? Why didn't God just come to his rescue? I think a lot of Americans are asking that question today as true Christianity continues to get squeezed in a godless, secular nation that is full of religious expression demanding that we be on the right side of human history when we say no we're gonna be on the jesus side of history and we just get mocked and insulted and now we're the problem and all of the rich history of christianity in our nation is shoved to the side and 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 rightly so we as american christians are sometimes asking well where's god why isn't god standing up for his faithful people and so the cross of Jesus again answers the question. God did not come to rescue Jesus because sinners needed rescue. Jesus himself said, I could call 10,000 angels. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Because sinners needed rescue. That's mercy. But remember this as well. That the cross is not only a place of mercy, it is also the place of judgment. In a 
workshop that Mike and Brian and I were in this past week, we were reflecting out of Mark's gospel, and the instructor I had gave this beautiful reflection. It helped me kind of put into the sermon uh, that thought I think is, is so helpful. The cross is a place of judgment. As Jesus is being crucified, darkness covers the earth for three hours. Symbolic of God's passing judgment on the world. Just as he had cast darkness over Egypt, or darkness had descended on the face of the earth in the flood, so darkness descends over the earth as Jesus is being crucified. But within that, darkness is lifting And who remains on the cross? It is Jesus who now is bearing the sins of his people all alone. No longer is the world being judged because the Lamb of God is taking away the sin of the world. In that moment, hanging there on the cross, sinners get rescued by God's grace. Sinners get rescued as Jesus bears the judgment on himself. And as the judgment falls on him he knows this he knows this and he cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me the allowance made by god toward people who mocked jesus and insulted jesus that allowance is called mercy it's called mercy but we need to remember that within mercy there is great patience But patience works two ways. When we exercise patience, we may be withholding judgment from somebody. And when we exercise patience, we may be withholding wrath from somebody. Now, the fleshly way we do this is uh, we say, hey, I'm not going to get you back right now, but you better sleep with one eye open because I'm coming for you. You ever thought that? You're showing patience, but it's actually you're storing up wrath until you can repay some offense. But that's not what God is doing in an unsavory, sinful, and godly way. God is saying that at the cross, I am showing great patience as mercy pours out, but at the cross, there is also judgment that Jesus bears, but I am storing up by my patience wrath that will come through judgment on all who reject my offer of salvation. Both the apostles Paul and Peter tell us this. In Romans 12, we're told to feed our enemies when they're hungry. We're told to give them something to drink when they are thirsty. That sounds great. That sounds exactly like this should be what Christians should do. Feed hungry people, give thirsty people water. But then Paul says something that just kind of, whoa, wait a second. Then he says, by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Think about that for a moment. And the reason Paul says that is because of what he says next. So don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil by doing good. You see, we are commissioned to do good. Feed hungry, give water to thirsty, but as we do that, we are showing the mercy that God is you know, extending so that they might, through our good works, see Jesus and come to salvation, but by their very rejection of those good works, 
which is a rejection of God's mercy, God is storing up judgment. Now, here's what Peter had to say about it. Go in your Bibles uh, to 2 Peter chapter 3. I, I really want you to use your Bible on this. I want you to see this. It's very important to see this. In, in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, uh, he is stirring up the minds of his readers to remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments. And he reminds them in verse 3 to know that scoffers are going to come in the last day with scoffing. They're going to follow their own sinful desires. They're going to say, well, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And Peter says this, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was what? Deluged with water and perished. Now look at verse number 7. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Being kept until the day of what? Judgment. And what? Destruction of the ungodly. With every mercy extended, judgment is being stored up for those who refuse and reject the mercy of God. But then Peter balances it out. But, church, don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some of you count slowness, but is what? Patient towards you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to what? Repentance. When we endure insults and mockings, we are overcoming evil with good as we join the goodness of God in mercy, just as Peter tells us. And we join the goodness of God in bringing judgment on those who commit evil against him. This is a sermon about examination. Think for a moment, how do you respond to insults, mockings, little, little you, know, uh, you know, pricks in your life and pushes in your life when somebody, you know, says something uh, degrading or disregards what you so strongly feel and believe in concerning Christianity and the truth of God. How do you respond we are never called to vengeance. We are never called to actions of the flesh. The anger of man simply will never achieve God's righteousness. We are always called to act with kindness, to leave the rest to God, because it is up to God who gets the mercy and who gets the judgment. So here's the third question. Again, we'll put it up on the screen for you. How can we bless God and say amen when all these terrible things are happening. When all these terrible things are happening. Well, I find two answers to that question within this psalm. The first, and I'm not going to be able to spend time to develop this. Uh, this might come in, an, in another series of... of but we, it's, I think it's something we have to get to eventually. 
the placement of the four selahs in this psalm counsel us to learn how we can, at the end of the day, bless God and say amen in spite of hardship that we face. Now, there's a lot to this, all right? There's a lot to this. Um, uh, but again, it's, it's not my point to develop all of that this morning. I do want to talk about the last selah. So, so the first answer to how can we bless God and say amen is found, I think, in the placement of these pauses within the text. But then the second answer, I think, is found in the structure of the psalm. And the structure of the psalm gives us that final selah in verse number 48. But then it, it um, includes, just before the benediction, these hard questions that the psalmist uh, would ask us. The psalm seems to end on a discordant note. It, it, it seems to be unresolved. He doesn't say how these things are going to get resolved. He just says, praise the Lord. <laughs> it doesn't seem human. Like, we, I mean, we want notes resolved. We want relationships resolved. We want life's big questions resolved. We want issues resolved. But, but let me remind you, um, to have unresolved issues is nothing new in the Bible. There are unresolved issues from the beginning up into the Gospels. But I want to help you remember this. There are no discordant notes or unresolved issues in the Scripture after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything is resolved. In his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, is, is, in his ascension, in his exaltation, the kingdom has come and is being revealed. There are no discordant notes after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The questions are fully settled. The revelation of Jesus as the new Adam, the new human, now in a resurrected, glorified human body, he is the final amen. Jesus, then, is the amen. He is the hope of all humanity, and through him, and through him alone, Psalm 89, other psalms like it, all other issues fully resolved in Jesus. We are called to faith in God, and this means that we need to learn continually, day by day, to put each and every unresolved issue of our life into the resurrection of Jesus Christ which resolves all issues. Every unresolved issue in our life, we need to keep putting into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This again is the preaching of the cross to its fullest dimensions. This is how we will, with enduring faith, be able to say amen as we bless God, even though the times are dark, even though the times are difficult. For it is in the light of resurrection hope that we find help to say even with tears rolling through our minds even with our hands over our face and say i don't understand and yet we have this singular hope in jesus and we then can say bless the lord forever amen and amen
So how'd you do on the exam? Does your faith have a kind of quality that allows it to endure the crucible of life? If not, what should you do about it? What should you do about it? How are you going to handle the adversity that is either currently present in your life or on the horizon? Are you adequately prepared in your inner being for whatever issue you are facing and whatever challenges might be coming at you? And if you know you're not, what are you going to do to get prepared? Over the past few weeks, I have extended an invitation to people who are spiritually stuck, need help understanding the scriptures, unsure in their life about Jesus. On one hand, although I am disappointed, I am not surprised that no one has responded to my invitation. The American idea of a private faith is still prevalent and as deadly as the day Satan deceived the church into believing it. And so I think we are probably still too early in this process of you desiring for your soul to be cared for, not by a book, not by somebody on the radio, not by somebody on the TV, but by your church, the elders of your church, shepherds who love you, care about you, Our desires have not changed, and because our desires have not changed, our will to change lags behind. So I want to leave us with this reminder. The God who at the beginning of this song is declared to be full of steadfast love and faithfulness is the same God who allowed his people to go through turbulent times. The people who went through those trials as the psalmist describes them are the same people who are declaring God to be full of steadfast love and faithfulness, and the same should be true of us. The same should be true of us. And so my prayer is, as we kind of bring this series to a close over the next week or so, that there might be a renewal of joy and excitement in our congregational life, sort of like that little boy... Our Rondas and I, our little boy Jesse, who so many years ago got himself up early, got himself dressed, and was ready to go to Disney World. That that kind of joy and excitement might be recaptured in our lives by God's grace. But even more importantly is that we might think about the joy and excitement of our Savior Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and today, today, seated at the right hand of God on high. Consider him, lest you grow weary and faint. For the more we consider him, the more we will find ourselves blessing the Lord. The more we will find ourselves saying amen and amen. And when we do, we will find that praise is indeed the starting place for hope. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word uh, to us today. I pray, O Father, now as we pause for quietness, that we might come before it with humble hearts 
as the song suggested earlier, come ye sinners, poor and needy. We thank you that as we come, we come to a table that invites us to fellowship. To bring us back into the great reality of what we've been talking about. The body broken, the blood shed, the returning Savior. And so, Father, I pray for these people that I love so deeply that you might wake them up, that you might wake them up and renew them, renew them with the joy of the Lord who is their strength. Let's be quiet before the Lord in time of preparation. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.